Auckland Council Libraries present We Read Auckland. Kapanui Tato Itamaki Makoto. I know this girl, and she works in a library. Kia ora and welcome to this Books and Beyond We Read Auckland special. This is your host Alison and I'm joined in the studio today by the distinguished and award-winning writer and literary critic Stephanie Johnson. Kia ora Stephanie. Kia ora Alison. Now in 2019, Stephanie, you were appointed member of the New Zealand Order of Merit for Services to Literature. So congratulations on that well-deserved honour. Very special, thanks. Yeah, Yeah. I bet. Now the critic David Hill uh, wrote in the New Zealand Listener that you are, and I quote, one of the best anatomizers of 21st century Auckland. So when I read this, um, trust me, I misread it as you being one of the best atomizers of 21st century Auckland. So then I started thinking of you as an atomizer, and I thought of you breaking our lives down into tiny particles and then putting us back together again, (laughs) or perhaps even distilling our lives down to an essence. And I wondered if this was a good description of of what you do. (laughs) It's so funny that you say that, because so did I when I read it. Oh, right. I thought, what is he on about? Um, I I, uh, was born in Auckland. Um, I have lived in Auckland nearly all of my life, with only brief periods in Christchurch and in Sydney. And uh, I think um, I just write about Auckland because that's what I know, and and I f- and I feel very comfortable having my characters, you know, traipsing around our streets and beaches and volcanic cones and wherever the, wherever. I mean, a lot of my books are, uh, as you know, historical novels mm. as well. So, and and many of them are set in Auckland too. You know, in, in the nineteenth century. Uh, so, and you know, various parts of the twentieth century. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I I think Auckland is is I don't know, probably other people outside Auckland may not mm. like me saying this, but I think Auckland is the most kind of exciting city. In New Zealand, and and probably one of the more exciting cities in the world, actually, mm. because it, it it is so diverse, and it is geographically so beautiful. Yes, yeah, it is, and that diversity is is wonderful, mm. isn't it? You know, sometimes I think of us as a big city, but we're also a small town. In, in many respects. So when you write a story that's set in, in perhaps modern day Auckland, do you do people ever recognise themselves in the, <laughs> in the story? I think uh, when my uh, novel, The Writers' Festival, mm. was published, um, various people wanted to see themselves uh, there, but um, I didn't consciously... Uh, I mean, you know, I'm, I never do that. I mean, sometimes... Um, I might have a real person in mind as a kind of springing off point, but I do my darndest to kind of cover my tracks. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think writing historical fiction, it's easier. You know, you put someone in a um, corset or a top hat or whatever, and then they're less likely to recognize themselves. Um and you know, for, for any uh, any writer, I suppose, though it's the grains of truth in that work that make it sing and make it feel real to the reader. Mm. So, 
Um, yeah, and because I think sometimes we might recognise traits of our, ourselves yes. in your writing. You know, I'm thinking of the the dog walkers from Mount Eden, or mm. or yeah. anything like the vegan <laughs> from Greylin or, or whatever. Yeah. So you do recognise parts of yourself. But yes. Perhaps not. I think with um, with everything changes, which was my mm. most recent one, the the entitled daughter. Yes, I hadn't realised just how much of a nerve I was striking there. Um, and in fact, someone told me that they went out and bought another copy for a friend of theirs. Who they said to me that this woman's daughter was even worse. Than Olivia, which I would have thought was almost impossible, actually. <laughs> yes, because um, she, Olivia, in the in the book, um, so she's the twenty-something daughter of of the main characters, mm. Davy and Cole. She's almost got a complete absence of of moral compass. Well, sadly, she? you do come across this, um, mm. and I'm not sure whether it's the failure of secularism. Um, that uh, that um, as as people have become less and less likely to teach their children the Ten Commandments, <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, and and perhaps our education system needs to stump up and teach um, more kind of ethical behaviour. But um, yeah, no, you, you there is a lot of this, a lot of. Um, Hatred of baby boomers, actual genuine hatred mm. of baby boomers, which of which I'm have to confess I'm one. I was born in 1961, so I was born in the very last year of the baby boom. Um, and I, as I say to young people, when they get so accusatory, uh, it's accident of birth. You know, mm. I didn't. None of us particularly asked to be born then, but. Of course, we and we did have it easier. I'm not. I would never mm. deny it. We had free university education. It, you know, um, fees came in towards the end of my uh, undergraduate degree, but they were minor. Um, you know, I'm not denying the world was less polluted. It was less um, complex. It was certainly not um, things like really ghastly pornography and things like mm. that weren't available at the flick of a switch. It, it, you know, it was a, com a completely uh, different world. But on, if you look at the flip side of that, with this very common sense of entitlement, and that you, uh, you know, people in middle age, late middle age, with their kids saying to them, "Well, you owe me." Mm. Well, she um, Liv blames her mother for everything, doesn't yes. she? Oh, and she also blames the climate emergency, I think, for, but a, lot it, for a lot of it. But <laughs> most of it is most of her woes are caused by her own bad behaviour. Yes, really. that's, that's right. And, and the fact that her parents too have spoiled her rotten. And in, that, in the family, which is a completely fictional family, um, I, there, um, there was a disabled older brother who mm. has died. So because there is this terrible tragedy in the family and she was the only other child, mm. then the parents are compensating flat out. Uh, and they're probably over and overcompensating, over and mm. and 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 I think this is one of the reasons why she's ended up so ghastly. Uh, and I, I mean, as as far as uh, blaming the mother, you see this again and again and again and mm. again. Quite recently, in a very uh, well received um, 
autobiography written by a rather well-known uh, Auckland writer about her father, who is oh. also a well-known mm. Auckland writer. But the blame was fairly and squarely laid at the feet of the mother. Mm. The blame mm. for everything. Um, and, you know, as you know yourself, traditionally, mothers were always blamed for everything from homosexuality through to, you know, whatever yes. in, their, in their children. It was always uh, our fault. So um, I don't think I was um, going too far away from the realms of uh, reality in, in mm. There's a hilarious scene in it, um, in the book, where um, Liv, has, she does something awful to the poor dog, Mother. <laughs> but then on the way home, um, after doing that thing to him, um, she pops into a, a cafe in Waipu and has a raw power vegan salad and a kale smoothie. <laughs> and I thought, that's just classic, isn't it? <laughs> well, she is so, pregnant. And, well, that's true. Uh, that, and so yes. she is looking after herself. I mean... <laughs> Um, you know, later in the novel when she's having this sort of rather strange, completely off-the-wall um, relationship with a mm. um, young woman, another young woman, um, you know, she wants to, she's stolen her mother's credit card and she she wants to be able to have champagne and all, but she knows she can't, you know, mm. she, she doesn't, particularly having had a disabled brother, you know, she doesn't want which I think is a, I think it's a thought that goes through many women's minds when they're pregnant that they don't want to do anything that they could mm. then feel that it was their fault, their fault if the child arrives with problems. Mm. You know? So mm. I, th I think you know she does. She's not stupid. She's very no, smart. That's that's right. Yes, yes. It's very very sad. Now, um, <laughs> yeah, in so many ways. Now, <laughs> Stephanie, you're known for for your sharp wit and your ability to see the hypocrisies and and disconnects in our lives, as we've just been talking about. <laughs> um, would you call yourself a, a satirist? Well, I've written. Um... I have certainly written satire, and mm. I love writing satire. Um, you know, The Shag Incident was probably oh, my yes. most well-known satirical novel. Um, but as we just said earlier, the historical novels, I, I've written um, uh, The Whistler, which was a science fiction novel, um, and, and then, then contemporary novels, uh, which often have a kind of element of satire to them. I mean, you can't... Uh, it, it, it's, it's, I mean, so I've just read actually um, a, a novel by Helen Fitzgerald. I don't know if you, she's a she was originally Australian, but she's lived in Scotland now for many years, and she writes crime. But they oh, do yes. have a slightly satirical element to them. I mean, whether or not you're saying satire or humour, you know, right. I, I I think I think humour in contemporary novels is very important. You know, we live in such a bleak world in many respects. Yes. And uh, so if we can help people, uh, if, if readers can laugh at things that otherwise might just make them cry mm. or feel despairing, then then that's a great thing. Yeah, it it really is. And in uh, speaking of, of comedy or things that might make you laugh, they do say that a, a good comedian um, should never punch down. They should always punch up. Do you? How would that compare with a, a writer? Um, it's funny you should say that. I was watching Ricky Gervais last oh, night, and it's... and he says that, and uh, that he talk, and he hates it because he says it's very woke that oh, idea. Okay, and he and he said, for instance, I mean, if I was this is so terrible. I mean, he he says if I was to bring a disabled toddler on stage and punch him, well, then I'm punching. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, but, and, but how, you know, now this is a joke. I'm not actually going yes. to do it. This is just a joke. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm not sure about that. Um, uh, you know, I think I think humour can be found in um, anywhere. I mean, I, I was thinking the other day, if you look at British humour, for example, after the Second World War, um, most of it seemed to be either about Hitler or mothers-in-law. And... Um, yeah, you know, I mean, Hitler was a terrifying figure, and perhaps a lot of mothers-in-law are too. But yes. <laughs> these are the two things the Poms were scared of the most, you know. So I, <laughs> you know, I think that um, I mean, we do live in particularly woke times. Mm. We, we, um, you know, comedians are, uh, I think, probably living through the most difficult period that they ever have. You, you, you would. They have to be so careful not to make jokes that can be misinterpreted mm. as racist or sexist, and and it's the same for for us if, as as people who are putting words down on the page. Yes, yeah. I I guess we're all so so terrified of of saying something. Well, I, I, I think in a way it's our generation's fault actually, mm. in that we have made this next generation think that their feelings are very important. Well, actually they're not. You know, whereas we were brought up with this idea of mind over matter. My father was always saying that to me, mind over <laughs> matter, you know. You, you know, you never let, you don't let your heart rule your head. Mm. Remember that's so mm. old-fashioned now, mm. but you don't hear it. You know, so that you, if something might upset you emotionally, you pull back from it and you look at the good and the bad without letting your heart get involved mm. yet. You know, mm. first of all, as humans with our enormous brains, we respond to things intellectually rather than emotionally mm. is the idea, mm. I think. And then if you fell off your, your bike or something, sometimes it was, well, are you still moving air? You know, yeah. you still, well, you're all right. You That's know. right. It's, get yes. up, brush yourself down, oh, off you go. Yes. Oh, dear. Yeah. No, I, I know what you're saying. Now, um, getting back to the Writers' Festival, um, you in that book, you talk about the writer as a performing pony. <laughs> and um, I guess that's kind of a modern thing as well. Um, what do you think about the, the celebrity culture that, that now exists in, in writing and in publishing? Um, I think to a certain extent, the celebrity culture has always existed. I mean, if you look at Dickens, you know, he used to perform and, you know, there were many writers, I mean, not so much women writers, actually, mm. but male writers in previous centuries who who would um, go on tours and, and have huge audiences. Um, um, Hugh Walpole, who was in a sort of turn of the 19th and 20th century New Zealander who ended up living in England, a gay man, and who was a hugely, hugely famous writer in his time, and he he, he would entertain massive audiences. But, yeah, the Writers' Festival, um, uh, you know, they have become uh, iniquitous. They're everywhere. I think perhaps what worries me now more since I wrote that book um, is that the number of small regional festivals that are popping up that um, have access to our very limited arts dollar mm. and uh, that perhaps, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I do worry about this, that um, too much of that arts dollar is being put into these festivals rather than supporting individual writers mm. um, because as we all know it's very it's all well it's impossible actually to make a living as a yeah. writer in New Zealand you you have to be teaching you have to be uh, reviewing you have to have another job 
Yes. Yeah. So, yes. But you know, and and also, I think like anything else, um, if, and uh, you know, writers' festivals are very prone to fashion. Um, they're looking for the 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 youngest, the most um, innovative, the the new, the um, you know. I remember when Peter and I. Peter Wells and mm. I started the Auckland Writers Festival. Uh, I remember him, clear as a bell, mm. him saying, I don't want this festival to become a landing strip for the latest um, Booker Prize shortlisted authors. Mm. And we were very uh, keen on that during our time of of, of, of running the festival that, um, or having any influence over the festival, you know, that um, that it was to be a much broader canvas than that. Very, very interesting to hear to hear that that history of it. Also, in um, that book, you you talk about um, and I'll quote here. It's a bit of a long quote. The parallel universe that exists at the bottom of the world. Books bloom onto the local market and disappear without trace. A few years later, the same topic is addressed by a different writer, either far-flung or local, and presented to the public as if it has no forebears or antecedents. And when I read that, it made me think um, about why we need really good booksellers like Carol Bew mm-hmm. from the, the Women's Bookshop in Auckland, who holds that sort of memory of of books and authors and and ideas, mm. and I actually wondered, but I didn't want to be too proud because I was taught not to be. But um, <laughs> I wondered also if a good librarian might. Yes, our oh, librarians are, sort of function a bit similarly. Are worth their weight in gold. Um, I love you all. <laughs> oh, thank you. Except yes. maybe I don't love the ones so much that have the complete control of those private collections in certain life. Not in New Zealand, I might add, but sometimes when I've been researching in other countries, I've had to do battle with um, librarians, especially if you've come thousands of miles to oh. see a particular thing, you know, like a, a ship's journal or something. Thing that you need to read. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, no, independent bookstores are, um, are just fantastic and they often reflect the sort of um, interest and nature of the bookseller himself or herself. Mm. And so Carol, you know, uh, for so many years, an absolute darling, you know, has supported women writers. Um, I mean, she sells men as well. Yes. Um, uh, but um, but women writers are absolutely her f- main focus and women writers from all over the world. Yes. And not only does she do that, of course, she runs events. Yes. So she was one of the very early, she was involved in the Writers' Festival, the Auckland Writers' Festival from the very beginning, um, and she uh, knew a lot about how to to run these events in the early days, and um, and she's still doing it. She's got uh, Sarah Winman coming in a minute, I that's, see. That's right, yes. Mm. And because she's got a background in theatre yeah, too, and hasn't teaching, she? Yeah, yes. which is a kind of performance, you know, yes. so... So, um, yes, so she's a real all-rounder there. Yeah, and that sort of ties in with that mm. that notion of being the performing pony. Yes. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so you wrote that great piece on her in the in the book Nine Lives, New Zealand Writers on Notable New Zealanders, and that was published last year. But, um, yeah, so Carol's support for the community, but but then the support from the community as well. Yes, is, no, it's, is it's, it's wonderful. No, she's very loved. And yes. I, I mean, one of the things that I mentioned in that um, piece on her was that various friends and, and um, acquaintances of hers have been asking her, do you have an exit plan? Because she's now in her mid-70s. Mm. 
but um, she doesn't at all, and she just wants to keep running yes. her bookstore, which she does with her wonderful staff. And and um, no, I think she'll be around for many years yet to come. Hopefully, yes, yes. No, good on her. No, she's an absolute treasure. Now, um, I know I keep going back to this one, but in the Writers' Festival, I <laughs> promise I'll stop soon. That's all right. Um, it's nice to talk about the book again. I yes. for a long time. You say that um, books are calming, and you describe how, um, for one of the characters, um, and I quote, it's as if the deep concentration the writer needed to write the book somehow passes from the pages, through her hands, and into her body stilling her anxieties mm. and I loved that I love that sort of I felt it really described that meditative mm. aspect of, of picking up a book mm. um, and you know really you lose yourself in, yes. in the pages and and it's not like reading things online or whatever because nothing can break in it's just mm. you and the book and uh, as long as your concentration is holding and somebody doesn't knock on the door or you know, or drop a bomb on your house yeah. or whatever. You know, nothing. You know, if you're con- you are, you are just lulled into that, into that, into that world. I mean, it might be a disturbing world. I mean, if you you might be reading a you know science fiction novel about a, a nasty planet or a book about you know um, the Second World War or, or something. But you know, it, it's just the the very act of that deep concentration. Which they know now from scanning people's brains while they're reading is very different to the brain activity, even when you're watching a film. Yes, and um, they really have found the um, link between that act of reading and um, gaining empathy, too. Mm, yes. Which is such wonderful skills. Yes, because or... you do absolutely enter into the thoughts and 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 feelings of that of that character who will hopefully be, you know, I mean not hopefully but often and 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 more um enrichingly as someone completely different to you. Yes, it really gets you. You know, and this is soul. another thing where where we're going to go back to the sort of idea of the woke culture at the moment where we're supposed to not be writing men if we're women or women mm. if we're men or or um Māori if we're Pākehā or whatever. I completely reject that and I mm. will until my dying day. Mm. I just think it is dangerous and stupid mm. and a mm. denial of who we are as human beings because, as you say, empathy through our imaginations we gain empathy, and through empathy, our imaginations are enriched. They, they are. Uh, it's a cycle, mm, mm. and a, quite a virtuous cycle. Yes, yes. And, yes. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I think you know to to tell us that we can, you know, in old school um, writing classes, you, you know, uh, people would be told, "You write what you know." Mm. Yeah. That's another idea I absolutely hate. I mean, I've never been, I've never done a writing class in my life. I mean, I've taught them, but <laughs> but um, but um, you know, you 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 find out what you know through writing. You mm. find out what you need to know. What you need to know, yeah. Oh, in, in, really interesting. Um, if we um jump over to Everything Changes, um, published last year, a lot of people have said that this is. Been um, one of your best books. Mm, that's encouraging. Yes, yeah, and it is. Mm. It's such a glorious romp of, of a book, but it does have so many serious messages, and as we were saying before, so much heartache as well. <laughs> but I think it um, it 
does look at that um, that whole concept of books being relaxing um, because it follows a, a middle-aged couple from Mount Eden, Colette and Davy, who buy a dilapidated old motel at the top of the Brindurwin Hills north of Auckland <laughs> and they plan to turn it into an oasis called um, Sky Readers Retreat. I did love that part in it where they have a, an argument or there's conversation about where do we put the apostrophe mm. in, in Sky mm. Readers. <laughs> but um, with the, the pregnant daughter who we've talked about and the misunderstood mutt and mysterious neighbour in tow, mm-hmm. um, and then the paying guests about to arrive at any any moment. Um, it's set up to say what could possibly go wrong. And, it, and of course, just about everything, <laughs> everything does. Everything go wrong. does. But um, I wondered about this book, if it's almost like a, um, a, a coming of age in middle age. In middle age. Story. Well, you do hear of this, don't you, of people wanting, and it's understandable because we don't sort of drop dead at 40 once mm. we've lost all our teeth anymore. You yeah. know, we live on. And so, um, you know, they uh, say uh, um, that like kids going to school now are likely to have three or more careers yes. through their lives. So that's not what we were taught. We were no. told, go out, become a nurse, become a teacher, whatever. That's what you're going to do for the rest of your life, you know. Um, so it's, it's, it is, that's another sort of very strong social phenomenon at the moment of people wanting this uh, big change, you know, at a, when they are still reasonably healthy, mm. not quite at retirement age. And, um, I mean, you must have friends who have done it. I certainly do, where they've left left the big smoke yes. and gone to live in the, in the country. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. Yes, because some... <laughs> I was thinking about that too, that so many Aucklanders do dream of of leaving Auckland and either going to the The rural little. Yes, either the bright lights of Sydney or Melbourne Mm. or the go go rural, Mm. go to the beach. I think the bright lights you tend to do when you're a bit younger because you're going to need money. Yes. But whereas if if you're one of these loathsome baby boomers and you struggle to pay off your mortgage, you know, your one little pathetic house you might own, um, just like most of us, um, and you know, you sell that and go and uh, live in the in the country. Then maybe you've got a bit of money left over. Mm. You know, to um, mm. I, I know it's something I will never do. I mean, maybe I was working it through in my own mind, writing that, writing everything <laughs> changes. But even before then, I knew I I, w- I would want to be I, I would I want to be in Auckland where mm. I have you know lots of friends and mm. and there's always something to do. Yeah, uh, you know, the, um, in terms of just going to a movie or the theatre or going to the art gallery or you know meeting someone at a cafe or just going for a walk and people watching. Yeah, um, I and think if I was a keen gardener, and if I hadn't been born with my disability, then mm. maybe I would have lived in, in the country and had horses and something. I don't know, but um, that right. wasn't how my life went. Yeah. Yeah, and because um, so much in the book is about navigating change and ambiguity and uncertainty, which I, I felt was was really relevant to our current mm. times. Even though I do believe you wrote it before the pandemic, I did, I did, um, and so I had to be very when I went back over the proofs. One of the few things I changed was um, uh, make sure that people understood it was two thousand eighteen. 
this yes. was all happening. So it was just, you know, just before we got hit. But I, I've got a novel coming out next April, uh, at which um, I actually sold to Penguin Random last October. So it's, this oh. is COVID that slowed it all down. Mm. But that is set during the first lockdown, mostly. So, um, but I think, oh, you know, we've exciting. got this... You know, yeah. it, it, lots of people, of course, uh, uh, lots of writers are, are dealing with this subject now because yes. it has been such a huge change. It's changed everything. 80% of university students now in Australia study online. Mm. That's mm. because of since COVID. Mm. And I imagine our figures is probably similar. Yes, I, I believe so. So campus life as we yes, knew it. That's what, yes. You know, um, I don't, you know, I think the way young people socialise has probably mm. changed to, you know, for not for all of them, but for numbers of them, anxiety about, yeah, you know, it's, it's a different world. It, so, of course, we're all going to want to write about it. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Now, I wonder if we could um, briefly have a look at a, a couple of the characters and, and everything changes, because each one of them, I felt, had such a distinctive voice. And um, one of the, the strongest characters I, I felt was Choirmaster, the, oh, the neighbour. I just loved him. He was judged by society, and and you make the strong suggestion that he's he's judged because he's he's brown. Mm. Basically, he's on but he the also, home he, detention. Yeah, he, 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 he got on the um, <clears throat> wrong side of the law. Uh, yes, and, um, but that was because his weirdo mate, who's a Park our boy down in Auckland was using him as a fence to store stolen goods, and and then also probably do dobbed him in. I mean, he appears that ghastly guy towards the end of the yes, uh, novel, and Fire Master right. gets his um, revenge. But but um, yeah, yeah, well, we all we all know, don't we? You know that um, we don't need to even talk about it. We, yes, you know, we know how. Some of that's being played out mm. in front of us right now, and mm. you know, and I, I feel that you su suggest subtly though that if he'd been a white boy from a privileged background, mm. oh, he, no, might, he would, have, would have had a good lawyer. Yes, he, he'd be in a different position. Mm. Oh, it makes but, a huge. I mean, I know when my own kids were growing up, different things happened, and with some of their mates and the ones who's had who had wealthy mm. parents and access to, you know, high high class lawyers. Yeah, it's a different story, isn't it? Oh, God, yes. yeah, of course it is. And if I could come to Muzza the dog, I just loved Muzza. And, and I know that you're a, a long-time dog lover as well. <laughs> but he was really judged for his looks as well. Yes, he ugly um, bugger. Yeah, and I, I imagined him as, as being a brown dog too. He's but yellow, big yellow oh, dog. He, Don't oh, you reckon they're the ugliest yellow dogs? Yeah. Oh, people who have yellow dogs will be yes. offended. <laughs> Yeah, there's one famous one that was called Big Yellow Stupid, I think, by the cat. Um, but, yeah, poor Muzzer, he didn't have enough poodle in his family history. No, no did poodle he? at all, I wouldn't imagine. Or who knows? And he, yeah, and but he was so loyal and wise and, mm -hmm. and sensitive. But his point of view was, it just broke my heart. Um, when he had done that, that bad thing that he did, he, he thought of himself, or he said, guilty, guilty, bad. bad. Well, oh. it was quite bad. He killed a cat. Yeah, I mean, well, it is risky right. starting a novel with a yes. dog's perspective of killing a cat because yes. um, there are some people who really love cats and might find that. But, you know, not all dogs, but most dogs, given a chance, will chase a cat. Mm, mm. Why not? It's fun. Yeah, it's, yeah, it was an unfortunate 
event for him, wasn't it? But I'm sure there's a hashtag there, like hashtag not all dogs, probably. We should do that. But then the way Mother described the pregnant um, Liv as um, girl and pup who makes my coal sad. And mm. I, that just broke my heart. So he's so observant. Yes. Yeah, no, um, dogs, family dogs will be very aware of um, the kind of dynamics that go on between their humans. Yes. Know, and, um, and of course, he's, you know, had, had Cole all to himself before, you know, the dreaded live reappeared yes. from um, America. From, so. Yes, that's right. And they're constantly collecting data too, mm. aren't they, when you see them just lying mm. around. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I loved that, that boy, that buzzer. <laughs> Thank now, you. Do you have any... Any plans for a sequel? No, to... no. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, look, sequels are a very funny thing. Oh, are they? Now, now I'll tell you um, a secret. Um, okay, so I wrote I wrote The Writing Class. Yes. Uh, then The Writers' Festival was a sequel. Yeah. Now, I was always intended to write a third one, oh. The Writers' Retreat. Oh, so what I did was I wrote Everything Changes and I changed the characters, you know, so it's not the, the people we knew that were um, mm. the central characters in the writing class and the writers' festival and and also made it not so much a writing writer's retreat as a reading read, retreat. Yes. And uh, at, the, at the time that I wrote that book, there was a little bit around in the media about these places that had opened up. Well, I read about one that was in England anyway where – yeah, you weren't allowed to go online. Yes. You, this was the whole point, that kind you of went like a... to this place, you sat in front of the fire, you went for nice walks, you ate nice food and drank nice wine, and you read books, and you did not, or you might be able to watch telly or something, mm. but you did not go online. So they were like a digital detox. Yeah, really, digital detox. And it's yes. sort of, I think now... The idea that anyone would even need to do that has sort of gone out the window because I think now they're so ingrained in our I think mm. we're still concerned about the effect of it on children. Mm. But um, I think adults, I mean, you know, if you were to step out right now into the Avondale shops, you would just see everyone, everyone. walking around looking at their bloody phone. I'm yes. amazed most people don't fall over, actually. Yes, or walk into, into lampposts. <laughs> So, yes, yes, it's unbelievable. So that, yeah, that was the, mm. you know, so that was a sequel, actually, right. in my mind. It, oh. But it wasn't really. But you know, it it, it was it was a sort of a, a sequel because the, I mean, the characters in the earlier books didn't have a daughter. Mm. Um, they um, they had an old blue healer. Yes, Paul Keating after Paul named <laughs> after Paul Keating. Um, and yeah, they, it was, mm. um, but but. Um, I know with certain some writers, you know, J.K. Rowling accepted. Mm. Um, sequels are quite hard, right? Oh, okay. Because when a when a it's um, hard to sell, I should say. Oh, because um, because a a book buyer might see on the back of the book. I mean, I'm sure you've done it yourself. I certainly have. Oh, this is book three, and oh. I think, oh well, no, I'm going to read book mm. one, and then you kind of forget about reading book one, and you don't. A lot of our readers. In the libraries, feel like that too. They, mm, oh, you want to start yes, right at, start at the, the beginning. beginning. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I oh, know that's a, a good point. Well, I must admit, I can't wait to read what's going to 
come from you next. Oh, so I'm really so kind, <laughs> really excited. <laughs> and I think sadly we've just about run out of time. So look, Stephanie, it's been an absolute honour to have you here today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for inviting me. This has been really fun. I've I've enjoyed it. So oh, good. Take care. We'll see you soon, Stephanie. You will at the library. That's okay. true. <laughs> okay. Bye for now. Bye bye bye. This program was brought to you by Auckland Council Libraries. Nga pātaka kōrero o tāmaki makauru. Find us at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz Contact us by sending an email to reading at aucklandcouncil.govt.nz